Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm great. I am well caffeinated, and I am also chugging a smoothie. Yeah, I see that you have a giant uh, blender. Then yes. you are chewing. You're chewing the contents of that blender. What's, <laughs> I'm what's in sort there? of chewing. They've been they've been <laughs> fairly pre-chewed. I have a Vitamix, okay. which I recommend if you're into making smoothies on any somewhat regular basis. Mm, it's like things. Yeah. It's like, what if we put a motor that was insanely powerful on your blender? And <laughs> a jet engine the results. on a blender. <laughs> yeah. It comes with this like ramrod that you stick uh-huh. down the top of the... Like there's a, you could, a hole in the lid and you can just jam it down to like shove huge pieces of whatever into the blades. It's pretty amazing. It doesn't care. It, you can just throw whatever you want in there and it's, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll chop that up. Yeah. I've tried to do like a kale-based smoothie in a normal blender and you get mm. like you know, like quarter inch size pieces. Like it doesn't, it just can't break it down enough. Oh yeah. So no, I, I even, I don't even take the leaves off the stem of the kale now because <laughs> nice. it'll, it'll chew right through those. It doesn't care. I'm like more fiber. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to hear what's in my smoothie? Yes, please. This, this is the Rhonda Patrick micronutrient smoothie. She's like this nutrition expert that I'm really into. Uh, and it has some of the smoothie. This is basically her recipe. Uh, this is ground flaxseed. Flax milk is the uh, liquid base. Then I have a tomato, avocado, spinach, kale, red chard, blueberries, carrot, and apple. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty it's a great. Lot of, it's a lot of ingredients. I and mean, that's, that's a fiber bomb right there. <laughs> it is. It's, it's like an everything bomb. So the goal of that... So her like design goal with this was to get you micronutrients like magnesium and other things. Selenium uh, that are often deficient in american diets so i kind of think of this as like if i start my day with one of these like i'm probably okay from that perspective i'm not i'm gonna try to not to go eat crap after this but it's a nice start there you go yeah that's what i have this habit of like uh doing yoga in the evening and not eating before and by the time i'm out of there like i feel like i've worked so hard and i'm starving and i've just like earned a nice cold beer which is probably not uh what you should be doing right after yeah uh, that, <laughs> All the that beer appeals to me yeah 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 i sometimes get that beer craving after exercise too but it's like alcohol is such a potent like testosterone suppressor it's like yeah. the perfect anti post-exercise drink <laughs> yeah. it's like if you want to negate yeah. what you just did you should definitely grab a beer yeah yeah but hey that's all right but yeah she's she's great i'm really into her stuff if you like you, if you google her name um she has appearances on like joe rogan's podcast and like the tim ferris podcast and her stuff is just really interesting if you're interested in the health and nutrition stuff she seems to be like right at the cutting edge of it nice that's cool yeah. i started i occasionally do this the smoothie thing it's usually a, a simpler recipe i like um some orange juice to sweeten it a little bit and then like a a banana and a handful of berries and fill up the rest with spinach and sometimes like flax meal or something like that. And I've started um, pre-packaging these and putting them in plastic containers and freezing them because like if I get off on my cadence and I have like a whole thing of bananas and then we don't like we're not eating bananas frequently enough, then they start to turn fast, you know? So that's one way to like just like get all the get a bunch of ingredients and then like pre-package them up and then you just like toss it in the blender and blend it and it's done. I like that. Yeah. That's cool. Plus, you don't need ice then, I guess, at that point. You've already created the ice. Yeah, right. It makes it, yeah, it gives it more structure because it's frozen. Hmm. So That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, how's work? Work's pretty good. Yeah. Things are, 
things are busy as usual. Um, I took a little took a little time off last week to attend ElixirConf uh, out in Seattle, which was which was fun. Yeah, what was that like? Uh, it was good. It was like a fairly large multi-track conference, which um, is a little different than the type of conference I typically attend, like MicroConf that's smaller and has one you know one track of speakers. I wasn't sure exactly what to expect from it. Yeah, it was it was a group of about 600 people and it was fun to see. I wanted to get a I wanted to get first of all a, a feel for the kind of the maturity of the Elixir community. Like does it feel like there are a lot of people using it um in production right now or is it still a pretty early thing where people are kind of playing around with it on the side or doing like you know cool like toy projects with it and not really using it aggressively in production because that's one one thing i'm considering doing is is using more elixir or starting to use elixir in on the drip side as we kind of split off different services and stuff and i could definitely say like the someone noted this and i thought it was a good way to, to frame it like the conversation has switched over the last couple of years from have you heard of elixir to are you using elixir in production yet which i think is a good sign you know and when they ask that on stage, like a good, I would say half the room raised their hand that they are using it in production in some form. And there was some good sponsorship, companies like Latote, um, the App Grinder, um, and and a lot of these companies both sponsored and gave talks and kind of talked about their experiences using it in prod. Yeah, I can definitely say I feel confident that one, the language is definitely not going anywhere. There's a there's a large community around it, and there's some pretty interesting use, use cases I got to hear about. Um, for using it at like high scale environments, so hmm. so impressive that that language worked, like that Jose Valle made it happen. I feel like getting a language to start and like pass that critical mass and in popular use, it, it, it sounds, it feels to me intuitively like it's harder than building a company in some way. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. They're like the, the successes are so rare. Mm-hmm. Props to him for that. Yeah, I think the fact that it's built on top of Erlang helped a lot because, and, and the, one of the design goals of the language was to make sure that it was fully compatible with Erlang. Like the, the goal is not to like provide a wrapper or an extract abstraction layer around all Erlang concepts. You can, you can actually call Erlang directly from your Elixir code. And that's the recommended way to do it. Like if there's something already in the Erlang standard library that can handle what you need, like there's like a great cryptography package in Erlang and you're supposed to just call the crypto, um, you know, module to, uh, to do that. And I think that's, that's probably a, a wise way to do it as opposed to like fully abstracting away uh, the underlying VM, just like leverage it and, and just add to it. And, and I think I, if you ever looked at raw Erlang code, it's pretty cryptic. Like I don't, I don't really know what I'm looking at. And so it's definitely not like a syntax that a lot of folks would particularly like and so i think that's a big thing that elixir solves is just like making it more approachable um yeah i I think that library like making the underlying libraries libraries accessible it makes so much sense like the languages that seem to have come into popular adoption recently i think they they're all doing that now like starting from scratch is such a huge proposition that like if you think about like like closure let's closure lets you use the uh, Java stuff closure script lets you use JavaScript Elm lets you use JavaScript like everyone's kind of realizing I think that starting purely from scratch is maybe just like a like just <laughs> stacks the deck against you even more. Yep, totally. And I think um, one of the other cool things that came about from the conference that I that I realized was that um, 
the Erlang community is is still vibrant. Like the the language is still moving forward and actively maintained by the OTP team. And uh, Jose talked about in his keynote some recent changes that was made to Erlang that. Um, is helping Elixir provide a better experience um, because they were able to so they were able to submit a pull request to core Erlang language saying like okay we if we could just store instead of storing like the Erlang AST in the compiled bytecode files if we could just store like any AST that ultimately compiles down into Erlang then that'll give us a lot more power to provide like nice stack traces when things fail in at the Elixir level. And, um, you know, it still is compatible with with standard Erlang beam files or whatever. And that like that pull request was accepted. And so now uh, the newest version of Elixir has like almost Elm like um, exceptions. Like it's it's getting more towards that direction where it's like, okay, this function that you tried to call does not exist or there's no there was like no pattern that was able to be matched. And here's a list of all the, you know, function definitions and all the patterns that could have been matched and it just like provides so much more information because because of a change that Erlang accepted allows Elixir to to uh, like improve usability. So I thought that's really cool to see the two the two communities working together. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's great. So are you would you say you're at the point where if you let's say you had to like restart drip tomorrow from scratch, would you mm-hmm. reach for Elixir? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. I mean I I've seen uh, Ruby operate at um, now at pretty high scale at Drip, and I've seen um, just kind of like we've we've have to do what you typically have to do with Ruby is just throw more hardware at it. So you know if we need to squeeze more performance out of out of our Ruby processes, we're generally just scaling out large fleets of servers, and and like it's it's fascinating to see just the amount of like raw horsepower you can squeeze out of um, Elixir is really attractive like if we had if we had a lot of elixir in our back end i think not only would it save our hosting costs but it would just i suspect it would be a lot easier to to tune performance wise so that's like one of my biggest draws right now just because i'm feeling the pain of scaling a large ruby application (laughs) and i think the tooling is is getting pretty close to on par with the ruby experience for a lot of things like phoenix is an excellent framework um, that is much much lighter weight than rails but offers most of the power that i care about in rails that's continuing to move forward and and i'm i really like what i'm seeing there so i think both the language and the tooling those are two of the really important aspects for me is like i don't want to endeavor to use a a language that has doesn't have a good package ecosystem and i'm seeing now like a lot of the a lot of the problems that are solved in the ruby gem world are are being solved in the Elixir package world too. You mentioned using Elixir to like reduce costs, like hosting costs. Do you think about that much these days? Like, do you think like, hey, we got to get our hosting bill down, or are you just trying to like keep the fires from burning? Yeah, I would say I'm. It's still something that I try to think about. Like, we are tracking our hosting costs now in um, actually in Prometheus in our our stats tracking area. We have like a we're exporting our our AWS bill so we can track it over time, but. Like one of the benefits of being at a funded company is like you can you can worry about that second like when when the need arises to throw more horsepower at something to keep customers happy like you can pretty much do it without too much pause but I think you know when things are calm it is still probably good to go back and optimize so like for example we're 
we've been heading into like using auto scaling groups to scale fleets of servers up and down depending on load on the system. And it's proving like really tricky to get the right algorithm nailed down to know exactly when the system should scale itself up and down. So in the meantime, we're just kind of having to leave things at the high bar, you know, a high bar of what we may need. And then, you know, eventually when we get around to it, it, I think of autoscaling as really a cost-saving mechanism. Like you can reduce your usage at times when things are not busy. And you could think you could push that even further and say like, um, okay, maybe we'll start looking at containerization and using Docker on the back end. And that just like squeezes the idea is it's going to squeeze more horsepower out of your underlying VMs that you're using. So that again is like also a cost saving mechanism. I think it's something we do want to think about. Like anytime you think like, ah, we have enough money in the bank. We don't need to think about cost at all. Then that's, that's where you're going to get bitten, I think. But having some funding at least allows you to um, solve the problems first and then circle back on optimizing cost. Do you have a, a sense of roughly how many servers you're running right right now? Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 servers. Nice. Yeah. That's crazy, Depending man. on how you count it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I used to hear those numbers like that um, a couple of years back when, when Drip was really small. And I heard about some like competitors and stuff talking about the size of their server fleets. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what it looked like for Drip to be there. And well, here we are. <laughs> so Here you are. Yeah. I mean, congrats. That's pretty mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah. It's a good problem to have when you need that many servers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts from ElixirConf you wanted to share? Oh, one one of my uh, favorite parts about what's coming up in Elixir. So they they shared, um, Jose, Jose shared uh, kind of a near-term roadmap of things being added. And one of them is a code formatter mm, that they're going to build. I saw you tweet about that. Yeah. They're going to bake it right into the, the core. And I love so that. So good. Yes. You and I have talked a bit about Elm's formatter and how it just takes all thinking out of it. Like, yeah, you can you can construct your code however you want, but when you save that file, something whether it's your editor or some other you know, thing that's watching your files should like get that right into the the one and only way that Elm should be formatted. And I just absolutely, I love that. Love it. Just eliminate that conversation forever. Yep. Save everyone hundreds of hours. Yep. It's so good. Even Jose was like talking about at first he was not convinced. He was like, oh, I don't know. Sometimes I want to be able to like force a space into this place or like tweak something so that it's a little bit more readable. He's like, but then he was like, I was looking at someone's code um, and he like threw up some code on the screen. He was like, I saw a code that looked like this and it totally offended my senses. And then um, then you kind of look at like the standard way that everyone typically formats it. And it's like, yeah, we should we really should just be forcing it into this into the standard way and like there's yeah maybe there are like a few times like i've run into this in elm as i play around with it like there's a few times where i would want like oh i want an extra line space there but then it's like eh, does it really matter it doesn't yeah so yep i think there's there's i think there's so much value to be gained a from not needing to have those conversations but b every time you look at somebody's code it looks the same way like it's got that familiar shape to it all the time which would make it even more jarring if someone were doing something particularly weird. So it's like, why is this indented? Oh, because you're doing this bizarre, like you're dropping a lambda in there. Like, it, I think it would help you identify things that are extra weird. Yep. Yeah. And what I liked was that he's, he basically has a preemptive pull request on the um, Elixir style guide repo 
that's supposed to go out when this gets done and it just like cuts out 500 lines of style guide <laughs> stuff because he's like yeah it. all this stuff will be handled by the code formatter there's still some things that won't because it has to be it's like one of the goals of design goals of it is to produce semantically equivalent code so like it can't for example rewrite your if you camel case your variable names it's not going to rewrite them to snake case because that would change the the underlying ast so that's things like that will remain in the style guide, but he was able to eliminate a ton of it. Because it's like, you don't even need to learn this, really, because it'll just be forced into that format. I yeah. Isn't that, isn't that clearly correct, having a computer do that kind of thing? I think like, so. Rather than forcing thousands of people to semi-manually do this stuff? Yep. Based on, you know, probably vague instructions? Yep. Yeah. That's actually, yeah. I'm going to touch on that in a little bit. But cool. I've been thinking about that lately. Yeah. What's, uh, uh, what's new with you? So um, new with me. So I spent the last week on... Well, actually, I spent 10 days um, on Martha's Vineyard, which is an island off the coast of Massachusetts. It's one of my favorite places in the world. I have family there, so it feels extra like warm and welcoming. But also, it just has this like really cool vibe to it. So there are basically no chain stores on the vineyard. Uh, it's just... it's So like there's, there's a Dairy Queen and there's a Stop and Shop. And other than that, they're all local businesses. So there's like a really strong like entrepreneurship vibe on the island. And you tend to know people that run the businesses around you. And I just I think that just it feels so good. I'm, I'm really into that. So people live on this island, right? What's the yep. is it like a lot of retired people? Or is it a lot of like vacation homes? Or what's the no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it is a big retirement community, partly because it gets pretty darn cold in the winter. Basically, during the summer, there are about 100,000 people on the island. And during the winter, there are about 10,000. So it's a 10 to 1 swing on and off season, which is really interesting. Um, so most stuff, or not most of, a lot of stuff shuts down or like operates on reduced hours during the off season. The sort of rhythm there seems to be you work like crazy during the summer, make all your money when there are people there, and then sort of just hold up for the winter and try to try to make it through. Hibernate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as you imagine, like uh, substance abuse is a big problem. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that, like high alcoholism and things like that. There, unfortunately, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I go a couple times a year, often in the summer, but sometimes off season as well. The off season is kind of nice; it has like a, a calm vibe to it, as you would imagine. When there's tons of people there, it's like a lot of traffic and everything is full, and it's nice to be able to go there when you can just get into stuff easily. It was a vacation, and it was actually a restorative vacation. Like I've been on vacations where you're like trying like for an aggressive, interesting travel experience, and you come back and you're like, "Wow, I'm exhausted." <laughs> Yeah, those, those um, don't relax you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The vineyard for me is the opposite because like I've been there a bunch of times. I know where everything is. There's like just no stress. And, like I'm with my family. It just feels so nice to be there. Yeah, so, I feel Good. I came back feeling great. Nice, sporting a little beard yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The vacation beard. Yep, it's gonna go soon though. Having stuff on my face just uncomfortable. I know. I can't. I can never keep mine for long. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the listeners can hear it in my in my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so much more distinguished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so let's talk uh, refactoring rails and stuff. Yeah. So um, I'm committing to a launch date right now. I'm doing it. Good. Do it. Uh, October sixteenth. All right. Going live. I'm, I'm writing this down. Can you hear my pen? You put it on your calendar. <laughs> yeah. Mark your calendars. October sixteenth. Um, hell or, come hell or high water, October sixteenth is the day. Um, it's about a month from today. I mean, the bad news is that's still a month from here. I've been saying it's been a, it'll be a month for a couple of weeks now, but at least now that, that now there's a line in the sand, um, and and I'm actually speaking at two different conferences, maybe almost three before then. So like my travel schedule 
plus the stuff that remains to be done. It's a somewhat aggressive deadline, but I think it'll be it'll be the, it's a good mix of aggressive plus hittable. So I'll have to work harder than I would at an, a leisurely pace, but I think it'll be I think it's doable. Okay, that's a good place to be in. Like if it was too easy, then I would say move it up. But sounds like yeah. it's in that sweet spot. So yeah, if I didn't have to craft some conference talks and travel and stuff, it would be I'd say easy. But with those, I think it will be a challenge. Um, so I did a serve. I sent a survey out to a portion of my list about um, what additional things I should make for the premium tier. And the data I got back was I, I put a couple options and, and left some open-ended responses to. And the data I got back was kind of like people wanted me to do the things that were going to take me the most time. Was like where the most support was. <laughs> like all the easy stuff, people were like, "Yeah, it doesn't sound that interesting." But the hard stuff, that'd be great. Like the overwhelming thing was like people wanted to watch me TDD a Rails app from scratch, and. They were like, I'd love to see like how like once it gets complex, you start like needing to add certain things and weigh different things in your mind. And I was like, I would need to build a huge Rails app to start hitting these complexities. And so um, <laughs> I think I'm going to flip flock back and just say like, there's going to be one tier. I think I, I just, it's, I just, I don't, I'm realizing I don't, I'm not that interested in optimizing for money, honestly. Like it matters, but at the same time, it's just not the most like, to me, that's not the most valuable part of doing this. I'm learning a lot by creating this course and having interesting experiences. And that's kind of what I want more than mm-hmm. like X thousand versus X plus whatever thousand. Hmm. Yeah. What uh, what kind of sample size did you have on that survey? It's a good question. Um, I sent it to like 120 people and got like 15 responses or something. Okay. So maybe not best to, like, to draw a conclusion from that. Yeah, I would say like... So there's the people express wanting the hard things. Then there are some, you said there are some easier things that you thought about packaging up as the premium tier. Are those easy things accomplishable enough where you think it might be worth just like putting that together and putting it out there and just like, if someone happens to buy it, then great, you know, and maybe it won't fly off the shelves, but. Yeah, that's yeah. God damn it. (laughs) It probably is. Yes, you're probably right. Man, it's so funny. It's it's funny working in out loud or like in public like this because I feel like I have this like natural urge to like be consistent with things I've said before. But I also I don't know if it's a strength or a weakness, but I tend to like go. It's probably mostly a weakness. Go back and forth between things. It's like I have like grass is greener syndrome, probably pretty hard. Yeah, I think we all do to a certain extent. Um, and you've you've thought about this sufficiently long where it feels like like the path forward's not clear and it's not seeming like it's going to be worth it. So why invest the time to, to do that? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like a little bit in the mode where I'm like, I don't want to make more video content at this point. Yeah. I want to turn my attention to the other stuff. What are are some of your, what are some of your easy quote unquote, easier things you've thought of to do for the premium tier? Um, so one is the sort source code for the examples. Um, so like I've, I have like maintained branches for like, here's the before, here's the after you can run a diff yourself. You can see the commit history that I took to like build up the sample. Um, the other is like, um, including source code of like briefs or trail mix, the, the side project I have and like do like a walkthrough of that and talk about some design decisions. Um, doing a, tour of a of an open source rails app and point out some like highlights and lowlights and things like that 
none of those would be like super hard. But also, those are the ones that people were like, meh, sounds okay. Although, again, like 15 responses, not like maybe a super good indicator. Yeah. The code for that follows along with your videos, that would be like almost no effort, right? Because you have those already in Git. Yep. Yeah. I would at least do that as like a second tier. Yeah. Okay. You know, I had been thinking about like, okay, if I have one tier at like, say, $100, tier two should be like twice as much. So how do I add a ton of value onto the base tier? But maybe... I do something like that and just make the tiers closer together. Yeah. I don't think it has to be double. I think it could be like 150 or something like that, where yeah. it's like an extra 50 bucks, you get the source code. Yeah, that's a that's that's probably a really good idea. <laughs> I, think I mean, I like and maybe that. and maybe like you highlight that as like the recommend, like if, I don't know what your grid's going to look like, but like that that's like the one you recommend because it has the most value. And then if people are feeling cheap, then... They step down to your hundred, but like to cap it at a hundred bucks, I don't know. I think you might be leaving money on the table, and yeah. If I did just the source code, that's basically zero work. It's a, it's like a little bit more complexity in like building the tiers and things like that, but that's hardly worth caring about. Yeah, it's okay. like almost zero work for you, but it is. I feel like it's quite a bit of value. It's a value add to be able to have the actual code, you know. Right, and like that option didn't perform super well on the survey but some people did like that like some people to some people that was the most interesting option and so those are the people that opt into the higher tier and cool like good for them they get they get value they pay a little bit more for it all right i'm flip-flopping back (laughs) okay damn it i need to edit everything all right all right uh go back and edit that part where i said i wasn't gonna do it (laughs) uh I guess, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully the uh, the thought process is valuable to people to hear. Even no, I think it is. I think it is because vacillating. Well, this doesn't. This is not a total vacillation because I I agree that to like take on to increase the scope even further and take on more video content at this point, I would say like not worth it. You need to ship. You know, like I think it's important to just get it out the door at this point. But since there does appear to be an option that's like almost no effort, then I would you know that's why recommend okay putting it out there all right i'm into that sweet good thinking yeah i'm glad we chatted that through all right so other stuff um i am within a hair's breadth of hiring a designer to help me build um a logo and uh the sales stuff sales page and possibly the video bumpers as well i have a proposal for that so i think and i think i'm just going to sign it so that's close and uh, yeah, it's getting we're we're getting there. How'd you find your this designer? Uh, I I asked, so I reached out to Steve Shoger. Is that how you yeah. say his name? I don't. Yeah, um, that I know through Adam, and uh, he was busy, but he said his stuff is guy. so good. By the way, <laughs> he puts yeah. out oh, a yeah, lot he's great. of uh, great design tips on Twitter. Um, yep, totally. Yeah. And now he's building some sort of info product or something mm-hmm. some sort of he's it's kind of, what's it called refactoring ui i think it is okay um so he's that's yeah which which makes sense like every time he tweets that stuff i'm like this is so good it's so clear he's like here's the before like don't like here's here's a here's a principle here's a before here's an after and like it's like yep. oh yeah that it's night and day i love it yep so yeah so i trusted his recommendation and so he gave me the name of somebody and if i do work with this person i'll share that person's name cool um but so i think i'm just gonna trust his judgment yep referral is usually a safe way to go yeah i think so 
Cool. And our conversation seemed good. This person seemed like they knew, like he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Good. And so I guess that's it on the course. And then um, I have some upcoming speaking gigs. Is this part so, of your Ruby tour or are these additional? It's sort things? of, uh, it's sort of isn't, it sort of isn't. Um, mm-hmm. These actually got set up before I knew I was doing the Ruby tour. So one of them, I'm definitely not going to be talking about this course. Uh, because it's, there's a theme to the conference. So the first one is Rocky Mountain Ruby in Denver, mm-hmm. uh, which is on September 29th. Mm-hmm. And um, the theme of the conference is trust. And so I'm going to be talking about how um, type systems help you trust your code is the sort of rough uh, summary. Okay. So because like so Jeff Casimir is running this and he reached out and said, do you want, do you want to talk about how, like, how, to, how you know you can trust your refactorings? And I was like, how would I talk about how computers can actually help you trust what you're doing is correct. Nice. Uh, and the, the angle on that is going to be basically my experience using Elm. Um, and in particular, I recently did a thing where I wrote the same program in Elm and ClojureScript. Mm-hmm. And one has a type system and one doesn't. And there were like really interesting pros and cons to that. And so I'm going to basically distill that into the talk, I think. Nice. And this is, this is a Ruby conference. So is this going to like... Is this going to get people more excited or less excited about Ruby, you think? <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, probably less excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we'll, we'll sort, of, sort of yes and sort of no. I mean, if this were a JavaScript conference, it would get them less excited about JavaScript. But I would say that Elm and Ruby don't really compete head-to-head. That's true, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think it will really dissuade them from using Ruby in the short term. But I'm kind of hoping that people will say, realize in the long term that... I'm hoping they'll agree with me that the future of writing correct code is having computers help you write correct code. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. We'll see. Nice. And then I'm speaking at um, Nashville Ruby uh, one week later, mm-hmm. um, which is in guess where? Nashville. <laughs> yeah, Nashville. I've actually, have I been to Nashville? Maybe once. I think for that conference, I'm going to try to give my, like a talk that's about refactoring rails um because they don't have a theme beyond ruby so that will be i think the de- debut of that talk cool yeah and the week after that boulder ruby nice so yeah so those those are like th- those three actually yeah so there's three speaking gigs before the course goes on sale mm-hmm. and i have to i'll be writing two talks two separate talks so there that's there is some time pressure yeah the yeah. pressure is real yeah for sure but i'm gonna do and- it so in your talk writing process at this point, you like how many, how many hours do you think it'll take you to, to write those talks? The refactoring, the rails refactoring one, I think will not be too bad because it's, I can basically slice pieces of the course out and patch them together and have a, a good talk, um, with live coding, which I think will be cool. Um, the Elm one will be the Elm one since it won't be live coding related i think will also be fairly quick because it's going to be mostly slides um and I've, i found that like a slides talk i can usually get together quite quickly so i don't know we'll we'll see 20 hours each 30 hours each somewhere yeah. in there yeah that's good well you've done it enough where it's like for me if i were giving talks um and also trying to march towards a launch deadline i would probably be really stressed uh-huh. because like with anything that I'm not super comfortable with, I usually over prepare and then like I end up spending way more time than I think on prep, which could bleed into, yeah. you know, other things. So. Um, 
Yeah, I think I'll be a little stressed. I think it'll be a challenge to to do all these things and hit that deadline and tra- and do the travel and all that. But yeah, that's I'd, 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 I I kind of want a little stress at this point. I've been t- I've been taking the lower stress option for a little while now. Yeah, but it's time to I think ex- accelerate and ship the damn thing. Yep, I like it. Yeah. So I think that's it for me. Cool. I think I'm think I'm good for this week as well. All right, man. Well, it's good chatting with you. Yeah, you too. Have a good week. You as well. So if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to artofproductpodcast.com. <laughs> I forgot what this is called for a second. And uh, we'll see you next week.